0: Welcome to another episode of EDS Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. EDS Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them, hosted by Dr. Melody Musgrove and Dr. Kathy Grace with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi.
1: We're so happy that Greg Jacobs is with us today. He is a partner in Siskel Jacobs Production. Along with John Siskel, his partner, they have produced award winning documentaries, including the award winning 102 Minutes That Changed America. Uh, Greg is here today to talk about their latest project, No Small Matter. It's a feature length documentary that explores the power and potential impact of early childhood education and is being used all over the country as an advocacy and information tool. Greg, we're so glad you're with us today.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here.
1: Why don't you expand a little bit more about uh, your company and, and what you and your partner do, just so that we have an idea of the uh, vast and I do mean looking at your website. Vast array of different projects you seem to be involved in.
0: Yeah, I'm not even sure I know what we do exactly. But we have been making documentaries here. Uh, we're based in Chicago for uh, the last 15 years, uh, and we have uh, about 10 years of experience between that before that. So uh, between the two of us, we have made or been involved with literally hundreds of documentaries on you know networks like the History Channel and National Geographic Channel. And, uh, and also feature documentaries um, like uh, No Small Matter About Early Childhood Education.
1: Well, of course, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, how have you first got interested in filmmaking? When did you see this was your calling or your passion?
0: Well, I was, uh, I was always interested in documentaries, even as a high school student. Uh, I was probably the only high school student, uh, certainly, that I know about, that had all of Eyes on the Prize uh, on VHS and watched it over and over again. So <laughs> I was always, um, for some strange reason, I was always drawn to documentaries. Um, I had been producing a radio show here in Chicago in, in um, after college, and I asked them, you know, I asked the folks there, I, I, it was time to go, basically. You know, it was a job that people didn't have for that long. And I said, does anybody know uh, anybody they would have an interesting place to look into and somebody said i know a guy who makes documentaries so uh, i went and it happened to be right at the time when uh... networks like the history channel and and a and e were just kind of starting to grow so shows like biography and things like that were becoming big and this company made a lot of those and they looked at me and they said you're breathing you seem to be able to talk here's a desk so somehow i managed to get into the field and uh... From there, it just kind of, um, it just was one of those things that, uh, um, I don't know that it came naturally, but it came fairly quickly, and uh, I just loved the form.
1: Well, apparently you're a history buff, or you have a great love of history uh, for you to involve yourself, and I'm sure very deeply in any project you do, uh, to learn as much as you can about the
0: subject, That is absolutely true. Um, I was a major in history in college, and uh, after that I wrote a book about school desegregation in my hometown, uh, which is Columbus, Ohio. Um, And I think that sort of historian's sense of um, wanting to learn all around a subject before you say anything about it has definitely affected the way um, I approach documentaries. So with No Small Matter, with early childhood education, Um, You know, really, uh, I'm part of a three-headed director beast, uh, my partner John Siskel and our co-director Danny Alpert. Um, But my role early on was just to immerse myself in the field um, and try to um, wrap my head around all the different issues that make up the issue of early childhood education. And that was so much fun because it was just an opportunity to have dozens and dozens of conversations with the leading experts in the field and really get a sense um, of not just the issues, but how they start to fit together as a story.
1: Well, in terms of, I suppose, this research you've done, what was a surprise to you that you're still reflecting on or that you took away from this, I'm sure it was many months of work to produce the No Small Matter? What was a couple of the surprises that you can reflect upon?
0: Well, so No Small Matter, um, I I always joke that uh, all the kids that were born when we started have aged out of No Small Matter because (laughs) it took five years to finish. Um, And part of that was figuring out, you know, as you know well, early childhood education isn't what we thought it was, which is uh, one issue. It's about 50 or 60 issues that all fall under the same topic of early childhood education. So I was trying to, you know, figure out what um, what the most important issues were, the uh, most important sub-issues were that would allow us to kind of piece by piece tell the story. And I think um, in that process, just about everything was surprising, as it turned out. Because I think, you know, we all have a, our own understanding. As parents, I have two daughters. And as just people who were kids and know kids, and in some cases have kids, Um, We all have what we think is our basic understanding of early childhood, and a lot of it is common sense, and a lot of it turned out to track well with what I thought I knew, but there's so much um, that the field now knows, there's so much that the research has revealed, that I think the general public just, in a lot of ways, isn't quite there yet, because their understanding of it is based in what they went through as kids or what they remember. Um, And so I think one of the things that has continued to surprise me is how, in sort of fundamental ways, people totally get this issue and also totally misunderstand it.
1: When you were putting this together, and I have seen it, and I want to say, first of all, that it is absolutely spectacular, and I hope that many people will continue to obtain Uh, Access to it because it is a very complex subject, but you've been able to take it and boil it down into a reasonable time limit and also to hit the high points and to present some of the heartbreaking decisions such as the ones parents have to make the first time they put their child in daycare and uh, actually following a child's parents and the child as they do that. Uh, When you looked at particularly the issue of wages, and you bring that up very dramatically in the story. I don't give the whole thing away, but, I mean, <laughs> uh, was it surprising to you that there is this, uh, I, I guess you could say it's been called before a three-legged stool between quality access and then uh, affordability, and you don't get anything free unless it's not very good. It's you know you pay for what you get, so to speak. So, uh, how have you felt about the passion? And I know you recorded it very well for the the struggles people have to uh, go through and the decisions they have to make that are teachers of young children and their own ability to survive and and take care of their own families.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I we really appreciated the the folks who took care of uh, our kids, the teachers when when our kids were little. But I don't think I had any sense of either how complex the job is um, and how difficult the job is, and also how little they are both paid and appreciated. And I think that's the, the thing that the film really hammers home for us. And I think we want that to be, if people sort of leave with nothing else, we want them to leave with the sense that okay, we have an economy where a lot of parents need help taking care of their children. There's a, it's a single-parent household, and they have to work, or both parents need to work in order to make ends meet. And, um, and because of that, the result is somebody has to take care of that baby or that two-year-old. And um, I think we want people to come out of it really understanding that for this country to – survive and, and, and maintain its strength, um, the people who are tasked with taking care of those children have to be really good at it, and they have to really love these children and love their jobs. And it is not impossible to love children and love your job, even though you're getting paid um, minimum wage, but it is incredibly difficult to sustain uh, that passion and uh, and to sustain that quality from For over a career. And so I think, you know, if people leave the film understanding that somebody's got to take care of these kids and that means we have to pay the people who are doing it a living wage and we have to give them respect and we have to give them ways to grow within the profession. Otherwise, um, it's just a revolving door and it will never be the kind of quality care that will make a difference in the lives of children. That's If there's a takeaway in the film, it's that. And that, I think, was not something we went into it understanding, but we come out of it really, really profoundly passionate about.
1: Well, you know, in terms of, you mentioned earlier on that maybe the general public is not quite along the way as far as those who live, breathe, eat, uh, sleep, early childhood <laughs> education.
0: Uh, <clears throat> I don't know about sleep. I don't know, does anybody get any <laughs> sleep? <That's weird>.
1: Well,. <laughs> I can say that I, I would say I haven't gotten a whole lot in the last several years about this. But the question, though, is why do you think that the general public has a problem when they can understand that teachers in public schools have to have a certain salary to be uh, employed and to remain employed? I know that in our state, in Mississippi, we have one of the lowest teacher salaries in the country. But... Uh, there is still a huge discrepancy between those who are caring for children outside of public schools, the infants, all the way to when they get school age. Why do you think there's a disconnect there? Or do you think there's one?
0: Well, I think there's a huge disconnect, and I think it, there are so many reasons for it, so many historical reasons and cultural reasons and economic reasons for it. Um, I'm sure I will forget a bunch of them in, in answering that question. But um, I think, you know, first of all, When people think of school, they tend to think of the structure they know, which is kindergarten on. And so anything below that is just this kind of amorphous time that it's really, I think, you know, people tend to think it's just the parents' job. It's up to them. They'll figure it out. And for a lot of people think, you know, if the parents can't figure out, then maybe they shouldn't have had the kid in the first place. I think that is a sort of a pernicious underlying thing. Uh, thought process that goes on. So, I think first of all, you just have a sense that zero to five is not considered an, a structural time for education. Um, and I think, you know, one of the ways that the science in particular has rushed ahead is that it's shown just how essential that time is for everything that follows um, uh, academically as well as physically. So, I think um, people don't get the importance of interactions during that time i think there also is a sense of people tend to remember what they or prioritize what they remember and so um you know a lot of times you'll have people say well in my day we just rode our bikes around the neighborhood we didn't have you know there was no preschool to take care of me or anything like that but you're like but not when you were two you don't remember when you were two and you probably haven't asked your parents what they had to do actually to make sure um somebody was taking care of you. So I think that's um, just people's lack of uh, personal memory of that time makes it seem less relevant. And then I think the the third big thing is that um, people just uh, are, I think, only now starting to come to grips with the idea that for a long, long time in this country, um, the labor that it took to take care of infants and young children was either a mom at home or um, a probably very low-paid uh, woman of color, and, um, or a family, extended family member. And now that we are in a situation where we really have to um, monetize that care, where we have to say, Here's, we, we actually have to pay money for this now or pay more money for this in order to make it work, um, I think people don't quite understand why that needs to happen all of a sudden. So when you start to say, well, if we're going to pay teachers okay, we're really going to have to spend money, I think people vastly undervalue how much value that time period demands and how much we haven't been paying all this time in order to find an equivalent to a parent being home and loving their child. So I think there's all sorts of things that go into that. But I think the unfortunate thing is you end up with people just kind of assuming that Kids will take care of themselves somehow, or parents will deal with it up until they get to school, and then learning can start. And I think we need to really, really flip that idea on its head.
1: Well, I think anybody who sees the documentary would certainly, as you say, walk away with some new understandings and also perhaps feeling uncomfortable, which is a good thing. Yeah. So that if their uh, traditional view of, of thinking about this has been challenged, that's the first step in trying to move us forward. Other countries in Europe across the world have a different setup as we know for their early care and education programs. Those wouldn't necessarily fit in our country because a lot of those countries are what people would consider to be socialistic in their approach to mm-hmm. economics. But I do think we have had studies now that have shown us the value, longitudinal studies in particularly James Heckman and some others, have shown what the investment can actually be if we did follow the good rule of thumb in terms of quality early on in children's experiences. Mm-mm. Are you going to be involved in other projects that may have to do with young children since you've gotten your feet wet, so to speak, in this one? <laughs>
0: uh, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that we really, really want to um, drive home in the, in the movie Is that if we invest in this time period in in a child's life and we get it right, that it doesn't just affect their academic track, you know, 20 years from now, but it affects the parents' lives right away. Uh, It affects the child's health, you know, now and decades from now. It affects law enforcement and and criminal justice. Um, It affects budgets because there's so much money that we'll save. And it affects every other child because. If you can catch some of the issues that kids have early, man, imagine the difference that makes if if there's 20 kids in a a kindergarten class that are there and ready to learn instead of five, Um, and the ripple effects that that would have all the way through the system. So we are zealous converts to this issue, and we see all the – just are totally aware of how many other things it impacts. So I think our goal with the film is, you know, to start with the film – to keep telling these stories, because unless people keep hearing about early childhood as an issue, they'll tend to just brush it off as, uh, you know, it belongs at the kids' table. And we want to make sure that people are constantly aware of all the different permutations so that they treat it as a, as, a, as a big person issue that belongs at the adult table with all the other important issues. So we are right now working on uh, a variety of different additional videos that involve early childhood and uh, quality preschool and the business case for early childhood and all of that. So, yeah, we want to, you know, we're here. We're here to stay. Basically, we love this topic and we think that there's no more important topic uh, to be dealing with than early childhood.
1: Well, that's very encouraging for an early childhood educator of 45 years to hear that you're uh, zealous and uh, committed to the cause, <laughs> and particularly when you mention getting to the big table because business and industry in most communities in most states have a lot of clout in terms of how decisions are made, how funding goes when you're talking to political appointees or elected officials. And so the best hope we have, I think, is to strengthen that connection among the business community to see how it does affect the workforce development and the importance of investing so that they have a better worker on down the road. So I hope you'll continue to push it up there at the big table.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the goals with it, we want the film to inspire people at the grassroots level, teachers and educators and, and, you know, folks like yourself who have been in this and saying this for decades, uh, sometimes in the wilderness. But we really want to also get it to those kind of the folks with the levers of power. So if there are politicians or business people who see the film and if it changes the way they think... Man, we really want to get those people who can call the governor and say, "Hey, I just saw this movie. You really should focus on this," or call their, you know, uh, call their representatives—the people who can really shape policy from the top down as well. Um, because you're right; that's the only way it's going to happen.
1: Could you possibly give the website and information for anyone listening that they could? go to so that they could then see how they could actually order the license to show the film and the process that you all have done such a good job with a, a whole array of ways to promote it. Would you be able to give them that website?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the website you can go to is nosmallmatter.com. Again, that's nosmallmatter.com. And you can also email us at hello at com if it sounds like something you'd want to bring to your community. Um so far, right now, we, we have had about four or 500 screenings, maybe more around the country. And by maybe April, there will probably be eight or 900. And that's the only way you can really access it is by um, showing it at a community screening or showing it to, you know, let's say, a business luncheon or showing it at an early learning center or something like that. But sometime probably in the spring of 2020, it will become available on streaming services so that everybody can access it. So we are making a big final push to get as many screenings across the country and raise as much awareness as possible, and then by about April or May, everyone will be able to access it. So for now, if you have any questions, go to nosmallmatter.com or just email us at hello at nosmallmatter.com.
1: Well, Greg, thank you so much for spending time. I've enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure uh, listeners will be encouraged and also uh, hopefully will be inquisitive enough to go to the website and to learn more about this, because it is a fantastic documentary. It is it's very heartfelt, and uh, a lot of emotions that are conveyed uh, by the people that were in it in terms of their struggles and also from the people who watch it and the audience.
0: Well, absolutely, and, and, and also thank you so much for having me, and, and of course, we, we are very aware that we are always standing on the shoulders of giants when we try to tell these stories. So thank you for all the work that you have done for 45 years.
1: Well, thanks again. And is there anything else that we haven't covered that you just like to mention?
0: That really covers it. I'm just, you know, it's always exciting just to uh, have people talking about the film. So hopefully people will come away from this and, and say, I really have to see that.
1: Well, once again, we have Greg Jacobs who has been visiting with us, and uh, the documentary is No Small Matter. Thanks, Greg.
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
2: And now it's time for our Lit Bit. This is another poem by Jack Prolutsky who lives in Seattle, Washington, and he was named the very first Children's Poet Laureate back in 2006. And he has lots of fun poems for children. And this one is entitled The Visitor, which is about a child's wonderful imagination. The Visitor by Jack Prolutsky. It came today to visit and moved into the house. It was smaller than an elephant, but larger than a mouse. First it slapped my sister, then it kicked my dad, then it pushed my mother. Oh, that really made me mad. It went and tickled Rover and terrified the cat. It sliced apart my necktie and rudely crushed my hat. It smeared my head with honey and filled the tub with rocks. And when I yelled in anger, it stole my shoes and socks. That's just the way it happened. It happened all today before it bowed politely and softly went away. The Visitor, by Jack Perlutsky, and that is found on poets.org. Give your child the gift of literature through poetry. Thank you for joining us
1: today for Ed's Up. We're always interested in stories about children and those who care for them. If you'd like to share your story, email us at oldmiss.edu.
2: Until next time, bye-bye.
0: Ed's Up is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity.